0: Turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 and 10, especially it's going to be verse 9. We finished uh, just a couple weeks ago, we finished up 1 Timothy, and um, we're going to go into 2 Timothy. But before that, um, we very prayerfully and, um, well, prayerfully considered something different. So for the next six weeks, uh, I'll be preaching... um, a series concerning, well, I won't tell you yet, you'll, you'll see. Uh, and and I, um, I covet your prayers as we do this, that God would speak to us, and it'll be a little bit different, because um, usually I just pick a text and spend most of the time in that text, and you'll see in the next six weeks I'll be, I'll be all over the place, but um, we'll be letting God's truth guide us nevertheless. Um, and we trust that God will speak to us, for I believe we need to be spoken to. Um, if you're in there, it's on page uh, 1440, if you're using one of our Bibles. Look at verse uh, 9 and 10. So for you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I look especially at the end of that verse. It says, so that you may proclaim the, the, verse 9, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I want to make a few observations about this verse there in verse nine. You notice it starts off, it says, But you. But you. So who are who are who is that? Who is he speaking to? Um, If you look at verse seven, just a couple verses before it it pretty much says it. He says, This precious value then is for you, okay, who is it? For you who believe. So Peter is speaking to those who believe. They've believed in Jesus Christ. He said it another way earlier. If you turn back to chapter 1, verse 3, he said it a different way. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. So there he says it one way. Who is it he's speaking to? He's speaking to those who have been born again. Who is he speaking to? Well, in chapter 2, it's those who believe. It's the same same group of people, just different ways to describe them. Then, back at chapter 2, verse 9, he says, he says So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, the excellencies of God. There is something marvelous and excellent about God that we're going to discover and about which I want to talk for the next six weeks. Um, this series that we'll be looking at, it has to do with you. It has to do with me. But in a more profound way, in a more important way, it has to do with God. We're going to see something about us, but we're going to see something about God in the midst of this. And then notice again in verse 9, it says, The excellencies of him who has called you. God has done something amazing. There's something about his excellencies that's astounding to Peter. And it has to do with the fact that God has called them. God has called you, he says. And this is not our doing. We're involved in it. We're the ones being called. But this is something, you notice the way he's saying it here. This isn't something that we're doing. This is something that God is doing. So God is calling you. And then the way verse 9 ends, you see it there. Out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's a tremendous change that can take place in a person's life. And it takes place in their life because God is calling them out of darkness and into light. We think about darkness and all that that represents. You know, confusion and uncertainty Lostness, not knowing our direction, not, not uh, being safe. And we think about light. It's the opposite of all that. There's clarity. There's confidence. There's security. I'm, I'm, I know where I am versus when I'm in the dark. <clears throat> all of that is a change. And then verse 10 tells you more about the change, you see. It says, for once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. A person that God calls out of darkness into light becomes a part of a family that he or she was not a part of. And then it says, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In the darkness, we walk and we don't know the mercy of God. And we sense within us that we really need God's mercy. Amen. But we don't have it. But when then God calls and calls us out of darkness into light, we find his mercy. We find his mercy. Him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God calls people out of darkness into light. I want to think this morning about what the Bible says here about these three parts of this verse. On the one hand, there's, there's, um, there's the darkness and, and there's the light. On the second hand, there's the light and there's God calling people out of darkness into light. I want to look at those three, the darkness, the light, and God's calling. And as I mentioned before, <clears throat> this may be a little hard to, I, I'm not going to give you time to turn to all the verses. Because we won't have time for that. So just hang on tight. Buckle your seatbelt. But listen, because it's God's word uh, as we look at this. We live in darkness, each one of us. We live in darkness until God calls us out of that darkness and into light. There's no one who's born, the scripture says. There's no one that's born in the light. Because of our relation to Adam and Eve, because of our rebellion and sin, we're in darkness. That's how we all start out. And it's a spiritual darkness that's on our, in our soul, in our hearts. We're in darkness. And I want to think for a moment and let the scripture answer the question, why is it that we're in darkness? Or another way to say it is, what keeps us in the darkness? That's a better question for this morning. What is it that keeps us in darkness? In the darkness here, first of all, it's ignorance. Listen to Luke eleven fifty two. Jesus was interacting with uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, people who were attacking him, trying to trying to trick him up and catch him on some some uh, technicality of what he said. They were the religious leaders of the day. They were the ones that had power over the people, and uh, he says to them. Woe to you, lawyers, meaning the lawyers of the law. Woe to you, lawyers, the religious law, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter and you hindered those who were entering. Jesus calls knowledge the key. It's the key that opens the door into God. You see, people must come to certain understanding. They have to understand some things. We all need to understand in our mind certain truths about ourselves and about God before we come out of the dark and into the light. And Jesus was scolding these religious leaders for they were keeping the key hidden, and the key was called knowledge. We have to understand about the disease that we all have called sin. And we have to understand and see that Christ is the cure to that disease. We need to see that and understand it. Ignorance of that keeps us in the darkness. Unbelief. Unbelief keeps us in the darkness. Listen to this in Hebrews 4, the first couple of verses. It says, therefore, let us fear if While a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed entered that rest. You see, it's not enough to hear The good news about Jesus Christ. One man or woman listens to thousands of sermons during the span of their lifetime. Another hears a few. The one who's heard many goes to hell and faces his or her punishment for his or her sin. The one who heard a few enters into the light and finds forgiveness. What makes the difference? Is it because (laughs) it's not because of how often or how much they listened? It's it's how much they believed. What it says here in Hebrews again, it didn't profit them. The word that they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who hear unbelief keeps the heart barred shut against Christ and keeps him out of the life. Pride. Pride keeps us in the darkness. In Romans 10, verse 3, it says, For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. It's an interesting passage there. It's speaking about those who are, who are outside of Christ. And it's saying, here they are. They, they um, try to establish their own way. They try to establish their own goodness before God. They refuse God's way, but they insist on a substitute way, and they're going to substitute it. They're going to provide the alternate way to have forgiveness and be made right with God. That's, that's pride. None who are taken out of darkness into light go there with their back straight and pride filling their heart. We all get there on our knees with our heads bowed as we submit to God and say, my way isn't enough. My righteousness isn't enough. My ideas of how maybe I can make things good enough so that you accept me. That's all trash. It's all it's all it, it doesn't work. It's gone. I let go of it all and I humble myself before God. And in that way, God takes us out of darkness and into light. Ignorance, unbelief, pride. I wonder if God is speaking to you with any of these. Is this, is this you? What else keeps us in the darkness? Our favorite sin. In John three nineteen and 20, listen to what Jesus said. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. We love our sin, and so we don't choose the light. In Ephesians chapter 2, it starts off and says, And you were were dead in your transgressions and, and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Among them, we too all formerly lived. And he's saying, we're people who are in the light, but this is the way we were. We all also formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That little phrase there, children of wrath, is important. Wrath is referring to punishment, a just punishment, not God getting ticked off and flying off the handle uncontrolled, but a steady, right, purposeful response of a holy God towards sin and sinners. That's what wrath is. It's the just punishment for sin. And Paul, in that passage, was saying that that's where we all were. We all lived there, living in the lust of the flesh and the lust of our mind, we just followed the sin and we deserved punishment from God. That's where we all lived. And Jesus said, as I read before men love the darkness rather than the light. And so they live in darkness and they love their sin and they don't want to let go of their sin. Interesting, isn't it, that a man or a woman for these short days on earth will love their sin more than forgiveness. But after the day of judgment, they will hate themselves and the sin that they love so much and wish that they could find the forgiveness which they had spurned. Think clearly, my friend. Do you really want your sin more than you want Christ? What else keeps us in the darkness? Presumption presumption keeps us in the darkness listen to proverbs 14:12 there is a way which seems right to a man to a man but its end is the way of death interesting verse there is a way that seems right to a man but the end of it is death there's often there there are two presumptions that people make often on the one hand people will will uh, presume that the way that they're walking the way they're walking in will get them to heaven. Nobody walks and believes a certain way and lives a certain way thinking that, you know, I'm going to make sure that I get to hell. I'm going to make sure that with the, in the end, after I die and I'm buried and I'm held, there's an accountability that happens there i'm going to be held accountable for my life i am going to live a certain way to make sure that i fail on that day nobody does that on purpose but they presume they presume that the way they're living is is okay they presume that this is this is going to it's all going to work out all right you know them you work with them you you live next to them right it's all going to be all right but the scripture says there is a way which seems right to a man but the end of it is death. And then there are others who know that the path that they're on is the path of darkness, that they actually deserve punishment from God, but they think that they can play a little bit with time, that before they die, they'll make everything right. They're presuming that they're going to have another chance. They risk, they risk it all. And many of them get no chance. I'll repent and believe later. Well, will you? And just when, when will that be? Oh, uh, my friend, there may not be a later for you. Don't presume. What keeps us in the darkness? Well, one, another is prejudice against holiness. A prejudice against the gospel. A prejudice against Christianity, in one sense, we could say it that way. When Paul was dragged uh, up before the the Jewish leaders in Rome in Acts 28-22, they said this, But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for concerning this sect is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. So these people in Rome, these Jewish leaders, had heard about this sect called, these people called Christians, and what they knew about it was it was bad. It was spoken against everywhere. And isn't that true today? Many people will stay in the darkness, and the gospel will come close to them in some person, and they'll think, ah, ah, you know, I've heard about that. I've heard about these people are crazy. Wouldn't it be better, my friend, rather than living off of the prejudice that you've inherited from listening to others, wouldn't it be better to trade that away for your own investigation of Jesus? Make up your own mind. Don't let others' prejudices send you to hell. And lastly, what keeps us in the darkness? Inability. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 6 to 8. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's an awful thing, but it's true. That, that we, when we're born and, and uh, all our aunts and uncles come over and look at us and say how cute we are. That happened to most of us. I'm told that happened to me. I'm not, I don't remember it. But We look all cute. But we're actually hardened sinners already. Where our heart is already tilted against God. And then as we grow up, we just prove it. We just prove where what the Bible says about, that our heart was when we were infants. We're actually unable, apart from a work of God in our life, we're unable actually to submit to God. Some of you are in this darkness that I'm talking about. And perhaps as I'm speaking, and perhaps even before you even walked in the door this morning, you already knew it, that you're in darkness. You're in darkness. Well, let me tell you a little about the light. We talked about the darkness. How about the light? The light is the opposite of all we've talked about. The light is beautiful. Listen to Ephesians 5, 8 through 9. He says, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. Goodness and righteousness and truth. The light is that which is good. There's no impurity or filth or drag on our life. It's righteous. That, that word, we don't always use it in a positive way, but it is a positive word. It's speaking about what is right before God and what is pleasing to him. And we know that when we live and think and speak that which is right, it's, it's, it's good for us. It pleases him, but it... it Bathes us and cleanses us and fills us with peace. And then it says, and the light consists in goodness, righteousness, and truth. Are you tired, my friend, of the lies? Of the lies that you're believing. And those lies actually keep you in the darkness. And then we've looked already here at 1 Peter 2.9. We're, and then verse 10, where it describes what this means when we're called out of darkness to the light, that we who were not a people, we were scattered individuals here and there. We've now become a part of a family that we, weren't a, we were right up next to it, but we weren't actually a part of it. And then we are brothers and sisters with many. And then it says, you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Oh, to know that you have mercy from God. Perhaps you've been a Christian for a long time and you've forgotten the wonder of this. Perhaps you're in the darkness even at this moment and you long for this. To have the realization in your life that you know that you have done wrong. And you know that you need God's mercy and forgiveness on your life. And then to not know, though, do I have it to live without the mercy of God? But then to be called out of darkness into light and to have God's mercy. That's light. That is light. Are you weary of the darkness? The darkness that you're living in, are you weary of it? You might be asking, well, how can I have the light? Well, this verse says here, God is calling. You see again in verse 9? God is calling. He, him He who has called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. God takes people out of the darkness and puts them into light. In this verse, he uses the word calling. God's, God's calling. His voice goes out and calls and wants to take you into the light. How does he do that? How does God do that? How does God call? Well, let's think about that. First of all, he calls through his word. He calls through his word. If you're still there at 1 Peter <clears throat> chapter 2, let your, let your eyes go up into the end of chapter 1. Look at verse 23. It says for you have been born again and you remember we we talked about that earlier this is who he's talking to people who have believed people who have born born again it's the same same people you've been born again how did that happen not of seed which is perishable but imperishable that is through the living and enduring word of god for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass the grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. This book is the word of God. And when you read it and think on it, when you hear it preached, perhaps you hear it on the radio, CD player, whatever, off the Internet, when you hear the word of God Think on the word of God. That is what God does. He takes his word. He's chosen to do that. The Holy Spirit takes his word and enlightens our minds and stirs our heart and brings us to the place. He softens our heart until we believe in him. And I want to ask you this morning, is that happening to you? Is something happening in your life now that wasn't happening in the past? That when you hear the word of God, something's happening in you. Something's happening inside of you. That's God calling. He's calling you. He's calling you. How else does he call? He calls, interestingly enough, through the lives of people around us. It could be. Anybody around us, but notice a little bit farther in chapter 3, for example. So this is First Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Your spouse can be one that God is using in your life. In the same way, it says here, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. A person's wife or a person's husband living what they profess. They have been taken out of darkness into light. Their spouse has not. But the spouse is in the darkness lives every day with an example of the light. And God takes that and uses that. God uses that person to remind them about who he is and about what they, that person needs. But it could also be a coworker. You go to work every day and you're next to somebody that's a believer and and their very presence. And often they don't even say anything. But every time you see them, God is calling you. A relative, someone in your family, a friend or a neighbor. Through them, God is reminding you. And God is calling to you to come out of the darkness and into the light. How else does God call us? He does it through His actions in the circumstances of your life the old The old generation before us called it Providence that God works providentially in life. He moves in our lives and he, he does things in the circumstances of our life sometimes to shake us, but however he does it, he does it to 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 call us he's he's shaking us up he's changing us to move us out of darkness into light sometimes this happens through an actual move i've seen this before where their their job or some reason moves them and there's something about that move that that god does something in their life and gets them thinking or they're exposed to other people and it's a step towards god sometimes it's sickness or serious sickness sometimes it's an accident Or or a tragedy to someone else that they love. Sometimes it's the birth of a child. When two two young people who are married see a little child that now has their name. And they are the adult and they're responsible. And God takes that and uses that to do a work in their own heart. I've seen this before too. And don't think that if any of those that I've mentioned or some other way that God's work in your life and it's stirring you, it's stirring you. Don't think, well, I shouldn't have to have that happen in my life to get to God. I, I shouldn't. It shouldn't be that way. I should be able to come to God alone. My friends, don't do that. Don't push off what God is doing. That is how he is calling you. So respond to him. God is calling you. You know how else he calls? He calls silently and secretly. The call of God on a person's life, drawing them out of darkness into life, comes silently and secretly. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 11 says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? You see, you do not know what the person next to you hears from God. And the person next to you doesn't know what's going on in your own heart. Others may not know, not unless, unless you say something. Others don't know. But you know, you know that God is knocking, so to speak, at the door of your heart. God is calling you. God is speaking to you. The voice, remember the apostle Paul, the vision came. He fell on the ground. Nobody heard the words except him. God calls silently and secretly, but he calls. And friend, I'm saying to you. God is calling you. God is calling you. He also calls in a way that's appropriate to each individual. He crafts his call to each person the way it's going to work for that person. It doesn't always look the same. In my life, I slowly came to understand the truths about Christ. I kind of heard lots of Bible stories, but didn't put it together. And then there came a time in my life where God kind of turned up the amperage. And and I and then I began to understand more and more. Other people, it doesn't take a long time. They They hear it and God chooses to open their eyes quickly and they see and understand and turn to Christ. Some, the conviction, the time you see when your eyes begin to open and then you begin to feel negative emotions inside of you because you're being convicted about your own sin and what your sin means. I remember in my own life, in that time period, I felt awful. Every time I thought about God, I, I was uncomfortable. I had trouble sleeping at night. Other people don't necessarily have that intensity of emotions. Others have more. God crafts it just for you he's calling he's calling He calls by enlightening your understanding. listen to Ephesians one eighteen Paul is saying, "I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. you see. And that he was even praying for Christians, and so you can move backwards and say, well, yes, if we Christians need the Spirit of God to work in us to help us understand, we certainly needed it when we were non-Christians. No one actually comes to understand what needs to be understood about the gospel, to understand it in in a spiritual saving way. No one comes to that point unless the Spirit of God does that in them. We can't naturally just do that. Sin has so ruined us. It's so harmed us. We we just can't do it without him working in us. And so I want to ask you, do you understand more now than you used to about your problem in sin? You see, you've got to understand that sin has, has ruined things between you and God. And that you're guilty of not living the way you ought. And your punishment, your the just punishment, is not overblown, it's not out of proportion. Because of the holiness of God, your sin actually deserves punishment from him that will last forever. And that is what hell is. It's a, a meeting out of his justice upon one who rebels against their own creator. You realize that that is... Are you seeing that now more clearly than you used to? And then are you seeing with the eyes of your heart, are you seeing that Jesus Christ is the answer to that problem? If sin is a disease, Jesus is the cure. He's the answer because Jesus, being God and then becoming one of us, went to the cross and on the cross, he paid the punishment. He suffered the punishment that had your name on it. He was buried, but he rose again and ascended into heaven and is coming again. But he now has wiped your slate clean. He's the one who's fixed the problem between you and God that your sin created. If you can't do it, he can. Are you beginning to understand this? Are you understanding it? Whereas before you knew about church and you kind of heard things, but now you're, you're starting to see it. God is calling. God is calling. How else does he call? He calls by disturbing your conscience. He calls by disturbing your conscience. Listen to Acts chapter 2 verse 37. After the sermon there on the day of Pentecost. It says, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles. Brethren, what shall we do? Our conscience bothers us. God is calling. We begin to get up. We see our own sin and we understand that not all is right between us and God. And so then there's, there's anxiety. There's, there's a problem inside of our heart. Our conscience is disturbed. My dear parent who's a Christian, when you see this going on in your children's lives, don't step in there and create a miscarriage. It's painful for parents to watch it. Don't get in there and just try to solve, oh, honey, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. This is God working on your child to draw them to himself. Let God do what he's doing. Point your child to Jesus and let him or her find her, their rest there. How else does God call us? By putting within us a desire for Christ. We're all born and we all live, not with a heart that beats hot for God. We don't love Christ. We don't desire Christ. That's, part, that's one of the, what happens in us with, with sin. Some just outright hate him. Others are just indifferent. Indifferent. Can you imagine? Indifferent to the one who came and suffered for them. Just indifferent. That's all. Uh, You can go to church. You can do that Jesus stuff. Uh, Not me. You can be religious. Not me. Just indifferent. But then, as God calls, and they begin to understand more about their own sin and about Jesus being the answer, and their conscience is pricked and pierced and begin to feel uneasy within them, and then they look at Christ, and then they want him. They want him. Friend, is that where you are now? You actually want Christ God is calling God is calling this the whole Bible ends it's almost the last verse in Revelation 22 17 it says the spirit and the bride that's the that's the church that's the believers the spirit and the believers say come and let the one who hears say come and let the one who is thirsty come let the one who wishes take the water of life Without cost. Are you thirsty? That's what he's saying. If you're thirsty for Christ, come to Christ for that drink of water free. Because you only thirst because God is calling you. God is calling you. He's put that thirst in you. And how is it that God calls? Powerfully. He does what he wills. Listen to Psalm 110, verse 3. Your people, meaning to God, your people will volunteer freely. It's their choice. They volunteer freely in the day of your power. It's God's working, calling with power that overcomes all the obstacles in a person's life. That heart, that that mind that was clouded over in darkness and ignorance, he overcomes it. The heart that felt no pangs of conscience at all for their rebellion now begins to stir within them. That's God's power in them. Then the heart that was cold towards Christ, now desires, Christ, that's God and His power, working, calling that one, out of darkness into life. They will volunteer freely in the day of your power. Oh my friend, God is calling. God is calling. He's calling you out of darkness into light. For the one who has believed, you know, you've believed you've if if we had the time, you could stand up and you could talk. You could tell us how it was that God called you out of darkness into life for you. I just want to say in light of all we've said this morning, never grow used to the marvel of God's calling you. Amen. Don't ever grow used to it. Don't ever get bored with it. The power of God that worked in you and overcame every obstacle inside of your rebellious heart. He did that in power in your life. And the love, the love of God. He didn't have to do this. He didn't have to overcome your spurning and your indifference. He didn't have to melt your hard heart. He didn't have to do any of it. But he loves you and he did it because of that. I'll never, never get used to this. Never get used to this. And I would also say to you, don't you ever grow tired of praying for that person that you love and you're concerned for that hasn't yet come out of darkness into light. Don't ever get tired of it, of praying, because God is the one who calls people out of darkness and into light. Amen? It could be someone in your family. It could be somebody you work with, a friend or a neighbor. It's somebody that God's laid on your heart and you've prayed for them and you've prayed for them and you've prayed for them. And at times you go weary and you you wobble a bit and think, maybe, maybe I'm just not going to pray. Don't, don't quit. You just keep praying because it's God who calls people out of darkness and into light. But for the, for you, who as I've talked and as you've thought about these verses, you sense that you're the one that's in darkness. You're in darkness and not in the light. God is calling you. Come to him. Say yes to him. Say yes to God. Say yes to him. Trust Jesus Christ. Instead of trusting yourself or your own presumptions, trust Jesus Christ. And come to, just go to him and say, I I trust you and what you did on the cross to make things right between me and God. And I cast my trust that I used to have on everything else. I I, I, I reject all that now. I trust you and I submit my life to you. And let him draw you out of darkness into light. If you're pondering these things, make sure you listen. For the next five weeks. For we're going to continue to talk about this for the next week. Six weeks in a row leading up to Easter. Are you in darkness and is God calling you? Say yes to God. Say yes to God. Let's stand together and and close our service. As we do, I just wanted to say that... that, um, There'll be someone, one of our elders, and usually his wife's able to be with him, or down here on the piano side, and they're there for prayer. And perhaps you're thinking in your own life, I, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm in the darkness or in the light. You come down and talk to them. You come down and talk to them, and they'll pray with you. Or talk with me or anyone else around you that you know that they know. Talk to them. Talk to them, and let's pray together. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we have sung of your great glory and your majesty. We have prayed for the people in Japan in this tremendous challenge, uh, tremendous um, disaster and tragedy that has challenged us to face up once again to the briefness of our lives and our own mortality. We're reminded no one knows. And, Father, now we look in your word and we see that you call. Father, for those who you are calling even right now, I pray, work in power in their lives, open their eyes, stir their conscience, move them to believe. May they believe in you. We ask for that. And we pray, oh, Father, and I pray that you would give all of us who you have already taken us out of darkness and into light. I pray that over these next six weeks, you would give us a spirit of prayer that we as a people would pray together and ask you to complete that calling in people's lives and draw them out of darkness and into life. We ask this, Father, and commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you all.